Welcome to Tori in Progress. Um, today we're going to discuss the opportunities that I've been given since the last time we spoke. So I have been approached by someone to be my mentor and that's pretty big for me. Um, I never expected to, you know, join LinkedIn and for professionals to actually look at my page. Although I do try to come off pretty professional. I do the best that I can because, you know, when you're putting yourself out there as a small business owner, you need to do the best you can to put that best foot forward and kind of, you know, show them that you're able to do these things. But what I want to discuss today is mental health. Now, mental health is a big thing for me because as somebody who suffers from an anxiety disorder, I find it hard sometimes, you know, when things change to kind of, you know, be equipped for that. And while I don't discuss that with a lot of people, uh, I think that kind of causes like my vertigo to kind of spiral too because the fear of losing control of something, the fear of stress, the fear of the unknown, I think that comes from something that stems from issues that I've had since I was a child. You know, separation from my mother, um, the things that happened in my childhood that I've discussed losing my mother. I think that was a major roadblock for me as a person that I couldn't really overcome. It took me five years to really accept her death. I'm not even gonna lie. It was a really hard transition to get to where I am now. I'm not saying the nightmares ever go away because they don't. I'm not saying the cold stare that I felt from her, her body is something that I'll ever forget because it's not. But what I do know is that all of what happened had nothing to do with me. There was nothing I could have done to keep her alive longer. There was nothing that I could have done to change the outcome. If I would have found her arm like that two months before, I fear that and feel that it probably wouldn't been the same. What was ravaging in her body and what killed her, eventually killed her, are two different things. There was nothing that, no steps that I could have taken that would have kind of reversed the damage that was already there. And I truly believe that she probably, you know, had it for quite a while and, you know, it was just misdiagnosed because she had so many other health issues. And while I don't blame anybody for that, I do miss my mother. I'm always gonna miss my mother. That's something that I'll never get over. I know she's still here with me and everything that I do and all the success that I have. I know that she's somehow been behind that just a little bit. But back to the stress. Stress is something that myself and people that I know don't always deal with in the best way. Now for me, when I get upset, I start to cry. And sometimes I can't stop myself from crying. I get hysterical, but this is not in a public setting. Okay, not a public setting. I can do it in a private setting because, you know, let's be honest. Nobody wants to see someone like me freak out. So, um, but I'm able to calm myself down. And I, you know, I use my yoga and my grounding exercises to get to where I need to be. And that helps me to get back to my center. I have breathing. I do the yoga. I, you know consciously know where I am shake a drink of water or if I'm at home drink some tea you know go in a positive place relax 
know, remember that you're okay. No matter what, you're okay. It's not your fault. It's a natural progression of life and your body's serotonin and issues and adrenaline kicking up. For some of my friends, it's a little bit more severe when it goes into a full panic attack. Now, I've had one of those myself, so I know what it feels like. That's like literally not having any kind of control over your body, over your senses, nothing. It's like being above yourself. You literally feel like you're levitating. And that's serious. That's a serious issue where you want to become better, but you have no coping skills at times. And I think that that's important for people who do suffer from illnesses that you know stop them from progressing in life you want to always have that support system behind you or beside you that's going to help you to get to you know the places that you need to be where you can have a successful career where you can raise a family get married that type of thing there are people who have things that hold them back from that and you know that kind of saddens me I've been lucky to be able to control my anxiety without medication. Um, There was a period of time after my mother died that I did take medication because I couldn't sleep. And I'm not ashamed to say that because, I mean, who could sleep? You find your mother dead, it's kind of like, it's a different kind of norm for yourself. Let's just put it that way. But I think that I became a better person because I was able to survive all that. Most people thought I was gonna crawl into a shell and kill myself because they basically thought that she and I were like the same person. And as I've said before, we were not the same person. We were two individuals. People thought I lived for her. She lived for me. She lived for me. I I didn't live for her. It, It was never that way. She never raised me to be that way. She raised me to be a strong, independent individual who could do for herself. Which is what I do. I work three jobs after she died to pay my bills. I don't really rely upon anyone to take care of me, even being married. I don't rely upon anybody to take care of me. I always wanted to take care of myself. That that's always been something about me that most people don't understand. And you don't have to understand it. You have to understand that, you know, there are certain ways that people have lifestyles and that's just how I am. I'm not going to change that for anybody. No, ever. I'm just me. Please. <laughs> um, but I feel like some people have to go through therapy. Therapy is important too because at least you're venting to somebody that you know is not going to you know, put your secrets out there. Whether it be HIPAA stopping them or you stopping them. But most therapists are very professional. There are ones that are very questionable but you know once you find the perfect fit for yourself i think that that's important to you know continue with that treatment and if it means going on medication go for it but if it doesn't you know learn to cope a little bit better um you have your friends you have your family you have your significant other who is hopefully supportive and doesn't say to you it's in your head because that's the last thing somebody wants to ever hear is it's in your head. It's not in your head. No, absolutely not. I think it, yeah, it manifests in your head, but it's not just in your head. It's everywhere. What you feel is a biological feeling that, and chemical imbalance at times, that 
you know, they go to war with each other. And once they go to war with each other, you have no control over anything that's going on. Is that sad? Absolutely sad. It's very sad to me. Um, Some people even, you know, commit suicide, which I think for them is probably the last result because they don't, I'm sorry, last resort because they don't feel that they're getting the support that they need or they've maxed out on the support that they need and they're not getting what they need to cope with anything going forward, they're struggling, they don't know what's going on. It's, it's sad. It's a very sad situation. And for those people, I feel for their families because they, they have that survivor's guilt. You couldn't save your loved one and here you are living your life and you feel empty because you don't have that single part of your life anymore and you still want that person to be there. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's hard. And to know people who have committed suicide personally... The, the people that they do leave behind, especially when they're younger, um, that takes a toll on them and that helps them as they grow up to become resilient. But at the same time, when you're younger, you don't understand why that happened. What makes a 16-year-old take his life? Nobody wants to walk into a, walk into a room and find their, their ex-boyfriend dead. And it's been years and years and years since that happened. But that's an image that I wouldn't want to get out of my mind as the person who found him. But for the most part, mental illness and mental health are treatable within the scope of reasoning. Now, when you receive help from the right individuals like it starts with social workers obviously they help you get on track to a kind of a treatment plan now whether this been inpatient or outpatient it's important that you know what move you need to make next you have a treatment plan written down you've agreed to the parameters of that treatment plan and then you're going to work towards making that happen now no one says every day is easy whether it be removing yourself from your home or it means, you know, like I said, being impatient, moving in with a friend, or even living on your own. Make sure you always have your phone on. Make sure you're always in contact with people who you know love and support you. That's so important for you to be able to latch on to that. Because without that, you're not going to get further in the plan where you're never going to be fully in recovery obviously this is an ongoing issue i wouldn't compare it to alcoholism because it's not the same parameter because alcoholism you kind of have an addiction and depression and anxiety i don't think it's an addiction more so than it is triggers although there are triggers in alcoholism that would kind of you know correlate with that too Now, when you start using drugs on top of being depressed, that's when it's like a Molotov cocktail. You're, You're getting ready to explode. You're not in a good place. And that's when you really need to think about detox. Now, detoxing is very hard because I've seen it firsthand as a family member of an addict, as a friend of former addicts. I know what that does to you see what it does 
You just don't want to go cold turkey because I've seen my friends die from that. I've seen loved ones pass away because they thought that, you know, one last speedball. Yeah, one last speedball exploded your heart. You thought that just because of the adrenaline rush that you were receiving from that was important? No. It took you away from your family. It took away you, you away from your friends. Now, this is a life un, unfinished. Where do you go from there? How do you explain that to a kid that, you know, your dad or your mom's not coming home because they took a chance on a medication, a little, little piece of plastic, white powder, snuff, whatever. It's very hard. And I saw that happen a lot when I was a kid. And as I got older, it got worse. And being exposed to people who have mental illnesses, it's, it's hard, especially when you love people who have them. You have to take a different approach to the things that you do because you don't know what sets them off. I mean, it's, it's a really sad situation because you want to be able to help them. You know that, you know, they're getting the help they need. You hope if they stop taking their medication, you can't really control that. It's not like a wall in the service where you can just say, hey, let's lock them up. If you're of age, you cannot section anybody unless you can prove that they're hurting themselves. And that is probably one of the hardest things that you can do is to try to prove that. Because remember, confidentiality kind of prevents you from kind of helping them because you can't just go to their therapist and say, I feel that A, B, C, D is doing this. They can't tell you whether or not they are. The only people they have to report that to is other medical professionals. They don't have to report that to the family. So that's where HIPAA kind of borders on damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? But you don't want to set that person off. You just want to help them. You leave them alone. You let them, you know, feel their way through their feelings. And hopefully it's not as destructive of a path and they don't involve alcohol or any other kind of narcotic, that they just try to go back to themselves. That's not always easy for them, so sometimes they use that as kind of a inhibitor to their nonsense. And by nonsense, I mean things that they wouldn't really do if they were sober. So with that, you have that position. With people who just suffer from you know anxiety and depression in general and then they accidentally involve other processes with that that's when the real problems begin because they suffer from mania and it's from somebody who has been around somebody who has bipolar and manic depression it's it's a scary world you you don't know what to what would escalate them based upon you know the wrong burning the wrong use of wordage and what you can do to de-escalate to de-escalate is to walk away and if they continue the argument with you you just continue to walk away because it's not worth you trying to because they want you to feed into that nonsense because they don't have any control over how they're feeling and this is how they're expressing it now 
at a point in time, you, you, you stay there, you listen, you let them vent, you let them scream, you let them yell, and then you walk away. You say, are you finished? And you walk away. You go and you, you seek solace in your own point of the, wherever you are, and you leave that person alone. You don't want to antagonize them because, again, you don't want them to hurt themselves. You don't want them to hurt others on the outside either. Because if you're in the same house with them or you're at a job with them or you're visiting somebody, you don't want to trigger anything out of the ordinary that would make them end up on ID channel or anywhere else. You want to maintain the calm and the peace. To those people who do have loved ones, like I do, who suffer from that, you're saints. And I don't mean that in, you know, a non-legit way. I mean that literally you're a saint. It's probably the battle that you're going to fight for the rest of your life with that person. And, I mean, the best you can do is to support them. You want to make sure that they always feel safe. You want to make sure they always know that they're loved and supported no, more, no matter what. Even if, you know, it means that eventually you have to, you know, be in a separate household or whatever, you want to make sure that they always know that you are there for them. You're never going to give up on being that support system. You're never going to give up on them as a person. You want to support them through, you know, their illness, their habits. Because like I said, drugs are tough, 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 tough. That, that is, that is forever. It's always mental illness, but, but I mean, at least with stress, if you, if you hit it off as, at stress and anxiety, I think that you can kind of basically control what's going on. But when it hits actual diagnosis where there's other letters behind it, that's when it becomes tough. That's when you know that you're not going to be able to do this alone. And I, I don't believe in institutionalizing somebody because of what happens. I just believe that, you know, they have to find their own way of coping and, you know, getting on a great plan and a regimen with somebody who's going to be there for them, who's going to help them, you know, when they're falling off the, the beaten track. They're going to steer them in the right direction, whether it be a, a provider, like I said, a social worker, a therapist, their own ex their own doctor, your surrounding family and friends. And yeah, those are all important to the, the way that the plan's gonna go forward. And you wanna make sure that you are taking care of yourself too. Because as the loved one of somebody who goes through this, you are the one that's suffering too. You have to take care of you. And as somebody who had taken care of her own mom, even with an illness, I know how hard it is to be the caretaker. It's tough. It's really tough to be a caretaker. You just want to make sure that, you know, everything's cool with you. You're, you're getting your eating. You're getting the vitamins. You're drinking your water. Yeah, you're doing exactly what you need to do to put yourself in the position to take good care of that person. Because when you start to slip mentally and physically, they're gonna take on those characteristics. 
they're gonna understand that oh maybe this was me causing this oh well maybe I can make the situation better if I no 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 you take care of you you take care of the person never have that guilt you have to put a fine line of separation between you so be it always know that there's resources out there to help you there is the crisis center in any state there is rain for people who suffer from rape and, and incest which is something that someone like myself has suffered through and I know plenty of people who have and that's how other people have manifested these psychological situations and there are other mental health advocates out there who are willing to take the role of helping you never be afraid of getting help always stay strong be the good <laughs>